Welcome to Evolve to Succeed, the podcast that brings together entrepreneurs, founders, business leaders, and experts to talk about their journeys and explore the link between personal and business success. I'm your host, Juan Munson, founder of Evolve, a coaching, training, and development company focused on enabling business and personal success and creating a community of like-minded individuals. Whether that be through our peer groups, one-to-one coaching, our training and development programs for you and your teams, or through our content and events, our mission is to get the best out of each individual and inspire them to be better both in life and in business. If you want to learn more about Evolve, including our beautiful co-working space in Ashley Cross in Paul, then please go to evolvemembers.com where you'll find great content, insights, details of all of our services and also information on our forthcoming events. For now though, let's get on with the show. This week, I'm talking to Ben Ashton of Good Oaks Home Care. Ben co-founded Good Oaks when he was just 22, and in October last year, the company celebrated its 10th anniversary. Within that decade, Good Oaks has gone on to achieve phenomenal growth. And as we'll hear during the course of our conversation, the first year turnover was just £5,000. Now it enjoys an annual turnover across the group of almost £10 million and employs 80 staff locally and nearly 400 across its 14 franchised operations. In 2019, Good Oaks also became the first in its sector to go carbon neutral, all subjects that we discuss during the course of this podcast. I was really interested in chatting with Ben for a number of reasons. Among other things, I wanted to find out what it was like to start a business at such a young age, just what he's done to drive that amazing growth and how he's so successfully navigated the franchising game. There are also some great conversations around effective marketing strategies, how he's changed in his 10 years of running a business and his views on the value of empathy. Please enjoy the show. Welcome, Ben, to the Evolved Succeed podcast. Thanks very much for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you on the podcast. Really intrigued to hear about the story and your journey that you've been on with Good Oaks Home Care with you and your co-founder. Interested to hear how that business has developed over a 10-year period? Absolutely, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll talk about the 10-year evolution of that business Really intrigued to talk to you about some of the things you've learned along the way, but and also, you know, you've gone on to franchise the business. So I'm sure there are all of the kind of things that we'll look to explore during the course of the conversation. But we must start with, you know, uh, providing home care is a really regulated, regulated kind of environment and business. And you were just 22 when you co-founded this business. So how did it come about? Tell our listeners a bit about those original days and how the business orient- originated. And a little bit about Good Oaks Home Care, Ben. Absolutely, yes. Um, so, yeah, starting at 22, I think really was, it was a case of you don't know what you don't know at that age. I think, you know, there's a lot of youthful exuberance then. And, you, you know, at, at that point, I just felt like I could probably turn my hand to, to whatever needed doing. Yeah. Um, Would you say that was naivety or braver? Really? Uh, there's a fine line, isn't there, I think. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a, a bit of both, definitely. Okay. I think, you know, over the years... I think the thing that I've definitely learned is actually how complex it is um, to run a business in this sector or run any business, really. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I have. I think when you're looking at it from, you know, I, so basically, t- just to take you back to the start, I um, 
met the co-founder of the business, we both stumbled into home care. So okay. for me, it was straight out of university. Um, I was saving money to go traveling. Okay. I applied for all the jobs under the sun. And the one that got back to me was care. Um, the interview was basically, do you have a car? Do you have a criminal record? Yes and no, or, or no and yes, depending <laughs> on which way around that is. Um, and, you know, I said, because it's my first ever job interview, so I said, are there, you know, are there many other candidates for the role? And she said, oh, no, you've got the job. Like, you've got a <laughs> you pulse. You passed. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You, you turned up. So You've done the yes and no and you've got a pulse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, congratulations. Here's your uniform. Um, so it was quite a, a sort of rude awakening into, into the world of care. And, yeah, that's where, where I met the co-founder. And, and that's where things really, we, you know, we got talking about um, how how we sort of perceived the role to be and and the company we worked for was a great example of how not to run a care company okay um and i think yeah going back to that sort of youthful exuberance it's always much easier from the outside it looks a lot simpler than it sometimes is i think so never ever considered a career in care what was your degree in it was psychology. Okay. Uh, yeah. So I went to psychology. Uh, yeah, went to uni thinking I was going to be a clinical psychologist. Okay. After three years of university, I decided I wasn't going to do that. Um, and yeah, basically, the next thing on my agenda was traveling. Yeah. And hadn't planned anywhere past that really. Wow. Well, I'm going to have to ask: Have you ever got to that traveling piece yet? Um, I did. Yeah. So I actually. Still went on my trip, so I... I oh, okay. Yeah, right, yeah, right, yeah. Okay. So, so me and, and the co-founder decided we'd start when I got back. So right, it, okay. it was um, we, it was me and a few friends drove an old Land Rover from here to Cape Town. Okay. Uh, so we sort of travelled all, yeah, um, over land. Um, that must have been an amazing trip. It was amazing. It was, oh, back in the day now, it feels like another lifetime ago, but it was during the Arab Spring. So okay. it was... There were some issues, you know, it was meant to be, we were meant to go through Tunisia and Libya and Egypt, yeah. and then they all sort of blew up one by one. Um, so then we went through Syria and, and Jordan, and basically, long story short, we, I was about four months late coming back to start the business, but luckily the co-founder waited for me and we got, got cracking after wow. that. Yeah. Wow. What did that travelling experience do for you? Good question. I think... It, it made me sort of, I think, be able to, to talk to lots of different people, I think. Okay. Just, you know, and to be able to sort of see a situation um, and, and think of the practical solutions to, to finding, you know, the outcome that you want, I think. Yeah. So a lot of travelling through Africa requires a lot of patience. Mm. I think people who don't have patience have to pay a lot of money in, yeah. in various sort of... Different um, guises. Different guises, <laughs> absolutely. And I think, you know, if you've got time on your side, um, that really, really helps. So I think patience and just communication, I think it was, it was really important. So came back from travelling, um, slightly late, but a very understandable co-founder. Absolutely. Um, so what were those early days of the Good Oaks home care business like? They were a learning curve, such yeah. a steep learning curve. Um, so... Uh, yeah, so Darius is named my co-founder. So he, he and I, we put in what was a massive amount of money for us at the time. It was about just under £2,000 each yeah. to start the business. And I think what was really a bit of a challenge was doing everything ourselves from scratch. I think, you know, so 
writing the website, brochures, yeah. handbooks, risk assessments, care plans, every, everything you need for a business. We, we sort of had to reinvent the wheel, basically, yeah. um, while working sort of part-time jobs. And I think that was showed, you know, I think in, a, in our first year of trading, we turned over the princely sum of that £5,000, yeah. um, which we were, we were quite happy with. You know, our, our franchise partners these days in their first year are sort of expecting around 200,000 in, the, in their first year. So it just goes to show if, if you put your sort of time and effort into the productive yeah. parts of a business um, and don't have to reinvent the wheel, what a difference that does make. Yeah, it's a huge difference. Yeah. Absolutely. And was there even a moment, because I'd read that, you know, your first year to turnover, and we'll talk about in a moment where the business is today, but was just £5,000. Was there a moment in that first year where you started to think, oh, am, I, am I, are we doing the right thing here? I guess I was in a very fortunate position where my parents were, you know, I was living at, at in their house rent free yeah. almost. Um, and, you know, I think people starting a business when they've got bills to pay and kids and it's just a whole nother level of pressure really isn't yeah. it so for me no I, I was sort of happy that we were making progress slowly in our own sort of in our own way in our own time and I think you know we we, we did things organically never had a, a bank loan or, or took on sort of shareholders that had particular yeah. expectations of us so we could sort of grow in in our you know in our own time so I said it just now. Well, let's just put in context for our listeners. Where's the business today? What's the turnover? What's the size? How many team members? How Absolutely. many franchises? Yeah. So we have, um, so in our local business, there's about 80 members of staff. Uh, turnover's nearly 2 million. Across the network, turnover, well, we've got about 14 officers now. Yeah. Um, maybe about three or, between three and 400 members of staff. Okay. Close to 400. Um, and there's a network I don't know, turning over eight to ten million, okay. I think, this wow. year. Fantastic. Like yeah. yeah. And what has been the biggest challenge in the last ten and a bit years to get to this point? Oh, the business has been through a lot of different phases, I guess, and each challenge has, each phase has different challenges, yeah. you know, so startup was, was one particular challenge. I think um, the, the next sort of big challenge was making that step from a from a local business to the franchise business okay it's almost a, com- a completely new startup really because yeah. you, you know you're doing what you're doing day to day in the local business but then it's dedicating the time and effort and resources to uh the, the franchise business which is definitely a, a really long-term business yeah. it's not not a get rich quick kind of scheme no. i think you know you're you're in it for for years and years to, yeah. to actually start seeing any, any returns on that so okay I think just time management getting that getting that sort of mix right really okay it's interesting and I suppose you've gone down an interesting model haven't you because most in the sort of home care provision kind of sector just grow and grow and grow and grow themselves and yeah you've gone for okay we'll grow our local market we'll run our own home care provision business but we actually the growth for us will come through building the network and franchising the proposition so how did that decision come about that's right I think for us I think you know locally we were always I think being a local owner-led organization from day one definitely gave us insight in the the advantages that that model has over yeah. over bigger most of more maybe more corporate okay. providers I think when there's layers and layers of management and um 
KPIs, and, and which, which is completely necessary for you know big organisations to, to work out what's working well and what's not. I think you can lose some of that personal touch, and I think okay. we always thought that the local owner has a lot of skin in the game. You know, yeah. they're, they're really so yeah. invested in making a success of of their office that they and they just go the extra mile for their yeah. staff and for their clients, really. I suppose you bring, as you put it very eloquently, you do bring that kind of owner-manager, entrepreneurial passion to each mm. and every hub or location, don't you? You do, you do, absolutely, yes. Um, yeah, I think, oh man, I, I, I don't think I could go down the route of having, um, you know, directly owning 15, 20, 35 offices or whatever, <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. Is it, do you think that's a bit of you and Davies, you business partners kind of mentality is actually you like what you've got you're passionate about what you've got and therefore wanting to grow but as you say you're not into managing hundreds of people directly through layers and layers of management yeah I think what we really enjoy is is enabling people to to make us you know to help them in their own success I think so um I really like working with other business owners um and and we always take quite a a lot of franchisors can be quite top down, you know, yeah. saying this is the cookie cutter model. You need yeah. to do this, um, and and basically that's it. We a bit more collaborative than that. It's yeah. more of a partnership. We call them franchise partners, um, and I think that's what we really enjoy is that collaboration and sort of working together and actually sort of solving problems as a network uh, yeah. instead of just you know diktats from yeah. on high really. Yeah. Okay. And what do you think? I'm going to have to ask you. I mean, we've talked about clearly some of those advantages of franchising the business. Yeah. What do you think some of the disadvantages have been? Yeah, I think the the biggest one is, you know, uh, control over the brand and yeah. reputation. I think that's the most, that's the one that, that we are most acutely aware of because, you know, on the plus side, everyone is super invested in the brands. You know, it's, it's you know, people are putting their, their life savings into the brand and, yeah. and have a vested interest in making it a success. Yeah. Um, I think the the way we safeguard the brand so fundamentally is by being really careful about who we work with and yeah. who who we who we decide to partner with. So a lot of people we we haven't you know thought were quite right for us. Yeah. Um, you know, so just a, one example was you know someone who's who's very keen and and really wanted to to make a you know to, to sign up with us. At the time, we were running a, a supported travel service to help um, our elderly clients access okay. the community. Yeah, this person wanted to um, sort of utilise that for secure prison transfers. Okay, uh, <laughs> for particularly apparently the most dangerous prisoners have much higher fees and were very lucrative. So obviously, obviously. <laughs> so yeah. So so the thought of our little community travel service being being sort of utilised in that way maybe, maybe that's not quite you know the brand image yeah. that we're going for as an you know, elderly care company yeah. wow that's a good example <laughs> isn't it and I suppose that, that vetting process is it's it's nearly like trying to recruit a really senior member to the team but on speed isn't it because they is. are remote they are autonomous yes and it's a interesting process because you're, it, it's a very two-way two-way thing yeah, because you know, you're selling as well. You're selling to an extent. We we never really see it as a sales process. It's more okay. of, um, a sort of discovery process and say this is this is what we do and this is what we offer. And if people are interested, that's fantastic. If it doesn't suit them, that that's fine. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, it is a it is a two way thing really, and that it's in, interesting because you need to get the information out of people in terms of their their ethos and values yeah. and plans and everything like that. But you don't want to, you know, get the big shiny lamps out and interrogate <laughs> yeah. them day one. It, it's a yeah, interesting. It is. It must be. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, the brand is quite important to you. You've mentioned that, and it you know, seen the brand, and it's a great great brand what do you think your brand stands for as a business over and above other home care providers yeah i think it really comes down to our um sort of people ethos our, our sort okay. of employment ethos so from from day one really we've sort of turned the traditional model on its head in a way that most care companies sort of they work out what the local authorities is paying yeah. per hour of care and they've that might be twenty pounds an hour if they're if they're lucky, um, and then they work backwards from there and say, okay, yeah. so then we can afford to pay the carers this much, yeah, and then they try and make that Just work. Just engineer the business model that way. Yes, exactly. And and we sort of came at it the other way and saying, you know, at the end of the day, the most important people, the most important element of this business is the people that are yeah. actually going through someone's front door and and making a massive impact on you know our clients' lives. What do we need to do in terms of pay and employment package and support to attract and retain those people? Okay. Then we work backwards from there and say, okay, so that's how much it's going to cost to provide an hour of really good quality care. Yeah. How much do we need to pay to make a sort of return? How, uh, sorry, charge to make you a return. return that, really. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it's the people that 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 we've definitely focused on right. from that point of view. And does that mean that therefore your model is more aimed at the private? individual yes. buying the care packages it's, from you than local authorities it, uh, yes definitely is so locally i think we are 95 plus percent wow. private yeah. work um which definitely has a lot of advantages um you know i think dealing with lots of smaller uh customers in a way makes you a bit more resilient i think yeah. instead of you know really relying on one or two big contracts yeah. um and yeah being and having that flexibility has been really important in terms of you know being able to charge what we need to be able to charge yeah. to, to provide that care. It's interesting. So I'm, I'm really intrigued now, and we've we all sort of set out kind of these kind of these are the kind of things we're going to talk about, and we've really gone off base <laughs> here. Ben, but I apologise for that. But I'm having a, it's really interesting. But so how does that you know what? How do you go and sell a market? your care provision because again most care businesses do rely they do some of that but they rely yeah. on these big weighty contracts to provide a lot of their income yeah so how do you you know how do you go about selling and marketing the business well if you buy a franchise i'll tell you but uh, <laughs> no. um, these are the secrets <laughs> yeah, exactly. i think really it's about we're, we're not always marketing to the end user yeah um so our, our clients are almost, by definition, often you know quite sort of vulnerable and isolated, yeah. and are maybe not the people making the decisions about their yeah. own their care. So, yeah, it's about marketing to the decision makers, I guess, whether that's professional decision makers or personal decision makers. Yeah, you yeah. know, the grown-up sons and daughters of people needing care, and you know, talking to them in, in a way that they understand, in a way that's really reassuring, because I think. Most people know nothing about the care sector, and it's something that people don't really want to know about until they need it. Yeah. Um, and then suddenly, it's sort of 
Um, and, and people often wait until the last possible moment to organise care. You yeah. know, they, they try and support Because everybody that. resists or don't want to. They want to provide the support for their family exactly. member and all of that. And Absolutely. And there's a lot of guilt around that yeah. sometimes for, for, you know, for family members that they can't step up and they've got other responsibilities. So, yeah, it's, um, it's, an, it's a sort of delicate message to get across, really. Yeah. But I think, yeah, reassurance and... Um, responsiveness is also really important as well yeah yeah fantastic um obviously we've gone through and we've got you know care pandemic the two things have to crop up in a conversation don't they They do i'm afraid i'm sure uh so i suppose it's quite an obvious question but what are some of the challenges you've faced as a result of the pandemic yeah i think obviously operationally everything had to change you know over overnight really um PPE was a big thing you know so we were definitely using our, our network and, and trying to you know so for example I drove up to Reading to, to deliver gloves and aprons because they were running out and about to start using bin liners because that's yeah. all they could find in the shops and it was all very wow. sort of last minute so operationally obviously lots of challenges and keeping everyone safe is, is yeah. you know you definitely have a big responsibility there um I think there's also, there has been a lot of publicity, good and bad, about the care sector. People are a lot more aware of it. You know, there was the whole clap for carers yeah. thing, which was fantastic. Now, it seems to be a lot more in the press in terms of the social care crisis they keep talking yeah. about, which is a little bit frustrating because I think, you know, in our business, day-to-day, it doesn't really feel like a crisis. I think people okay. are just getting on with the day-to-day job. I think carers, our carers wouldn't, wouldn't feel like they were working in a sector in crisis, really. Is that, do you think, because you are focused 95% on the private sector? Yeah, I think that definitely has a a part to play. Yeah, yeah. definitely. But I think, you know, the, the, there is huge demand out there, obviously. Yeah. And, the, you know, it, it's, I think, talking about a staffing crisis almost creates a staffing crisis as well. Yeah. It's one of those self-perpetuating yeah. things where people are, are hearing sort of horror stories and not wanting yeah. to go into it, but actually, there's yeah really rewarding careers for people in there. Yeah, okay. yeah, perfect. Um, I suppose we should talk about the business and the business journey. So you know you're um, 32 me now. Yeah, yeah. Ten years on from being 22, I can do the maths. Thank God for that. Right. So you're 32 now. It's been a 10 year journey for you and for Darius, your co-founder. How have you and he changed in this 10-year period? Good question. I think I've become just, yeah, a lot less sure about everything, if I can put it like that. Okay. In that I think I, I, I've sort of become more and more aware of how complicated everything is in life, in business, in care, in whatever sector. You know, I, I, and, I, and I think always sort of seeing that the other side of the coin or the argument you know so yeah. i think when you're especially when you're younger everything's quite black and white you can you know make decisions and go for it i think now it feels sort of 50 shades of gray really yeah. it's quite hard to sort of pick um sort of definitive correct answers there seems to be a lot of, so i think that's something that i've that's changed for me is being more aware of, of just the complexity. Is um, that just life and experience, do you think? And that little bit of, I mean, we, I, I'm sorry to use the word, but naivety at 22, yeah. it's rubbed away and it's just right, okay, I get the big picture now. Yes, I think that, yeah, I think that's exactly it, really. I think 
combination of life and and sort of yeah. work that does that to you, doesn't it? Definitely. Um, yeah, I, I think fundamentally we've you know ten years is a long time to be in partnership with yeah. someone, um, and fundamentally I, I don't think we've fundamentally changed. I think we're both more or less the same that you know people that we we yeah. started off as. Bit more grey hair, you know. Yeah. People used to say, "Oh, you're young." At least you got hair. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, um, yeah. People used to say, you know, "Oh, you're young to have a care company, or you yeah. to have a company," and no one says that to me anymore. No, I've aged beyond my years. But definitely, um, yeah, yeah. But there's a lot of advantages in starting that young, isn't there? There is. Would def- you yeah. do it again? I would, mainly because I don't know what else I would do. Okay, that's an honest answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I'm definitely not qualified to do anything else. So. Um, I would do it again, definitely. And that is the time to do it, isn't it? Because yeah. you, know, you don't have that responsibility. And if it does take a year and you only earn £5,000 in a year, that's okay. You shake it off, exactly. can't you? Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, yeah, sponge off your parents for a bit longer. <laughs> but yeah. Um, and again, you, you talked about it now. Just 10 years from startup to successful business, successful franchise business, with the, you know, and clearly by the sounds of it, a really strong relationship with Darius, your co-founder. Any hints and tips on those on their business journey, perhaps just starting, you know, co-founding a business with someone? How have you made it work? I think the biggest tip is, well, it's a couple actually. I think um, having a written agreement, you know, um, partnership agreement or, or shareholders agreement is really important, I think, because when you're just relying on goodwill, yeah, that seems fun. That sort of feels like that's all you need at the time, but then things change. Yeah. People's situation changes. Life changes. Life it? changes, doesn't it? And yeah, and gets in the way. And then there's no playbook, and suddenly you're in a really difficult yeah. sort of personal relationship, which can really affect the business. And and yeah, unfortunately, that we're lucky that that hasn't happened with us. But um, I think having but the assurance that it's there, the assurance that's there, and you know this is what happens when someone does need yeah. to leave the business for whatever reason. This is the process. Yeah. This is how you work out the value of the yeah. shares, all that sort of thing. Um, and then personally, I think a bit of give and take. You know, yeah. I think I'm probably quite annoying to work with sometimes. Um, and it's just about yeah, yeah, about picking picking your battles in some yeah. way you know respecting the other person you know yeah. and um yeah and, and just like any relationship it's, isn't yeah, it it's, yeah it's, and it's, sort of talking like i'm married to him yeah. but yeah yeah no definitely so where do you see the business in you know five years time ten years time kind of what's next for the business yeah i think well in you know, in technology they talk about you know, moving fast and breaking things, don't they? Yeah. And I think in the care sector, we definitely don't have that luxury. You can't. Okay. Can't do that. Don't want to break anything. Because um, obviously our clients are, are reliant on us. And, you know, we also have a real responsibility to our franchise partners because they're, yeah. you know, really decent, hardworking, caring people who've like put their life savings into, you know, us and our brand yeah. and our system. And I think... We're, we're really conscious not to let them down really mm. and you know so in terms of of our business growth we want to carry on growing but mainly sort of powered through the organic growth of our partners rather than signing up you know 10 15 new partners yeah. a year something like that it's more about the sort of organic growth really yeah sustainable growth is sustainable sometimes growth. what i can call it is uh, that yeah. yeah it's just what's 
and talking about sustainability, <laughs> a great link there is you're <laughs> the first um, home care provider to become carbon neutral. That's right. So what does that <laughs> you can define that and think in many many different ways. What does that actually mean? Yes. So I think, well, we're the first home care franchise to be carbon neutral. I don't know if there's other home care providers out there that are. Okay. I don't know of any, but there might be. Yeah. Um, so what that means, so our, the system that we use captures all of our carers' journeys um, okay. between all their clients every day. So... Um, Cool, so there's quite a big carbon footprint, actually. It's a massive carbon footprint, yeah. Yeah. And it's something the sector just never talks about. Um, And actually, a lot of start-stop driving, you know, in towns. Carers often have older vehicles as well, which may be less efficient. And actually, there is a big carbon footprint to delivering care. Um, We we were really conscious of that. So, yeah, so, so what we have done so far is... We've basically did a, did a big sort of project to um, audit our, our carbon footprint. So, yeah, our, our carers' journeys, all the other sort of travel that, that we do associated with the work, um, our office emissions, everything like that. We, and we used a sort of third party sort of to independently audit that. And then we offset that with um, sort of local tree planting and, you know, um, investment in green projects, that sort of okay. thing. But as far as you can at a local level. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Because so, there's this kind of greenwashing kind of thing. There sometimes is. Sometimes it feels businesses can't, particularly perhaps corporates, go through, which mm. is, right, we'll just plant some trees somewhere in a far off land. Yeah. Nobody ever knows. Nobody ever sees them. Does it actually happen? I completely agree. I, I think... And it probably yeah. does happen. So I better say that. I know. I mean, but, yeah. but you're always sceptical somehow. But what you try to do is at a local level, is it? Yes, we try and do, lo- it, it's sort of done regionally in the UK, so we okay. don't say, you know, they're not planted in Bournemouth and Poole, <laughs> yeah. uh, but they're planted in the southwest, okay. basically. I think offsetting is not the answer to all our problems in terms no. of um, in terms of the carbon emission. You know, all our business is going to have to like fundamentally change, aren't they, over the next yeah. 10 years, probably. Um, but it's a start, and it, and it's, you know people talking about it makes a big difference yeah. i think and actually being aware of i think there's a lot of a lot of you know the activities that we do every day we don't even think about the the footprint that we're that yeah. we're um creating so i think it, it you know it's the start of a conversation there's definitely more that we need to be doing and will be doing but it's yeah it's not perfect but we're yeah. it's a starting point and we're thinking about it we're thinking about all of those processes both that inspire and evolve and it's kind of a minefield. So where did you actually start? You know, for businesses that are listening, business leaders that are listening to this podcast and think, actually, we do need to go on that carbon neutral journey, but perhaps before, you know, the hand is up our back and we have no choice, but they want mm. to start their journey. How did you start that journey and process? Yeah, I think it was a lot of conversations with people. I think talking to, I think you, you actually had someone on your podcast recently who yeah. would be probably a good person to talk to. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's more and more information out there. So we, we talked to quite a few different um, companies that do this um, independent auditing and to find out the sort of data we would need to give to them. We, we were conscious it had to be an independent process and not just yeah. us marking our own homework because yeah. that's always dangerous. Um, and really, we're lucky in that our... our model we have that data to hand anyway 
um, in yeah. that travel data and all of that. So it's actually, for us, not too much of a challenge to work it out, really. Um, it just comes down to actually putting your money where your mouth is at the end of the day. And actually, I think we're all going to have to make sacrifices that and it really becomes, you know, it's when you actually, when it costs you something to, to make a change, yeah. that's when it shows if it's actually important to you or not. Yeah, really. So it's really there. Yeah. yeah. The commitment is truly there. Yeah. It, it is, definitely. And, and so we actually centrally offset all of our um, partners' carbon footprints um, as a franchisor. Okay. So it's not they don't need to pay anything extra than what they pay, um, and, right. and we sort of committed yeah. to, to do that. So, for people who do who are conscious of of you know having a sort of sustainable business as much as you can in the home yeah. care space at the moment, um, it's a really good opportunity to you know. To, Brilliant. To get on that, and you, yeah. I, I'm going to go cold and commercial, which may be not the right thing to do. But do you think it wins you business being carbon neutral? We've definitely had a lot of interest from. Actually, you know, the local authority you know, wanted to talk to us about how they could um, make sure that the care that they source is carbon neutral. Okay. And, you know, it does open up some, some doors that weren't there, maybe. Okay. Um, it was interesting. We, we're in the process of, of um, getting a new website um, yeah. and doing some focus groups with carers. And actually, it's, it's interesting to, to see that it's not always at the forefront of everyone's minds really when they're making a decision about jobs um, or you know choosing an employer I think for some people it's, it's it is the most important thing for others the more practical things like are yeah. they getting paid you know mileage are they getting yeah. you know guaranteed a certain number of hours a week all, all those yeah. things that they need to actually pay the bills and everything comes first and then yeah. the nice to have comes a bit later so I think that that dial is shifting and it's becoming more and more important but it's, it's sort of variable at the moment. Some people find it very important and some mm. are still not quite there yet, I think. Yeah, okay. And sort of talking about you personally, I suppose, obviously, how's being entrepreneurial, you know, running your own business affected your personal life? Because you've run this business through your 20s, 90s, or 30s. In those informative years? Yes. So, I, yeah, I guess I've never really known another way. Yeah. Yeah. I think eventually it's given me more time with my family. Okay. Obviously, 22 years ago, I didn't have a family. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so right at the start, working sort of seven days a week for for months months on end and, and, you know, a couple of years probably. But it gets, it gets to the point where you are probably not working less hard, but working more flexibly. Yeah. And, you know, you, you're able to have more control over how and where and when yeah. you work, I guess. Um, so yeah, for, for example, at the moment we have a five-month-old baby at home. Wow! Congratulations! Make, thank you. I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember those days. Oh, yeah. Man. yeah. So I'm lucky enough to get home for five, so I can help with all of that yeah. admin, um, and then I, I generally I might start working again at half or seven for for a yeah. bit just to sort of catch up yeah. on whatever I missed. But. but get that family time in there. Exactly. Yeah, get that yeah. fill up. Yeah. And I, it is an advantage we have as business owners, isn't it? Is that you know, when things are running well, you get a bit more flexibility around when and how you work, as you say. I like the way yes. you put that. When something's needing doing, though, then it's at the coal face, isn't it? And it's yeah. full on. And, and it, the buck stops with you, doesn't it? Yeah, at the end of the day, if no one else responsibilities there, there, isn't it? And it doesn't go away. Yeah, it doesn't. It no. really doesn't. Yeah. And in terms of 
your own personal values? What do you think of the values that are, and principles that are most important to you? And do you think you've been able to reflect them into the business? Good question. I think, yeah, so personally, in terms of my values, I think a big one for me is, is empathy and, and always trying to understand what, you know, the person across from me or, you know, I'm talking to, understanding their perspective on, on things, you know, what's their worldview, where are they coming at this conversation from, really? Yeah. Um, and I think that, that's really an important skill. And I think one that actually, there just seems to be less and less empathy these days. If you go on Twitter, there's very limited yeah. empathy happening there. Everything's very binary and, you know, yeah, you're always... It's black one. or white. It is. And crazy you, world. Exactly. And if people don't agree with you, they're sort of bad people. Yeah, they rant and rave and, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Control. So I think empathy is really important uh, and, you know, respect as well. Just having that sort of underlying respect for, yeah. for people as well, even if they don't have the same views or values as you. I think yeah. it's important to have that sort of baseline level. And I think both of those actually are, we, we have put into our company values as well. So yeah. they are sort of stated there as well. So Definitely. yeah. Yeah. It's great if you can join those two things up, isn't it? It is. Yes. And it makes sort of, um, it makes it a nicer place to work in it. If people, yeah. if you're, um, you know, we, we sort of have values based recruitment where we're, we're looking for, you know, people have to give us you know, these horrible questions about times that they, they, yeah. you know, demonstrated those values. Um, but if you're, you know, recruiting people that share those values, it just makes it a much nicer yeah. place to be and, and work. And you know, definitely, yeah. yeah, yeah, you've got to have a mix of different personalities and different energy levels, haven't you, to make a business work? But you've got to have this core, in my opinion, anyway, this core theme of you know values yeah. that run through. That's true. Otherwise, it becomes very disjointed and yeah. very conflicted. Yeah, and there's a bit of a, a balance there, isn't there? Because you know. There's this thing about cognitive diversity yeah. where uh, Matthew Syed talked about it, where basically having people from different backgrounds and with really different experiences is so helpful for organisations yeah. to make better decisions. Um, and actually, we've um, you know recently brought someone into the business who comes from a, um, a sort of much more corporate background. I yeah. think that's been uncomfortable probably for her and uncomfortable you know for us. You would imagine yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's a, a sort of but I think, actually, because she shares our values, it it, yeah. it really works, and, and she brings things to the table that we we don't have really. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's definitely a balance there. I think perfect. It's been a great conversation, Ben. To start to wrap up that conversation, one final question: What's your personal definition of success? Very good question. I think there is, you know. Studies show that you know after a certain amount of certain income level, extra income doesn't bring any more happiness. Yeah, I think it's around you know if you to plot happiness and, and income, it gets to about fifty thousand, quite a yeah. linear curve, and then it really plateaus off. Yeah. Um, so for me, it's it's not about a, a number or a metric. And like no. that. It's really about fulfilment, I yeah. guess, and and feeling fulfilled in what you do, and. For me, that does come from you know enabling other people to, you know, to share it, to share success with me. So you know, hopefully, I'm achieving my goals, but I'm doing that by helping other people achieve theirs too. Really, great answer, Ben. If people want to know more about you or more about the business, where can they go? They can go to. Uh, they can probably just Google Good Oaks, and we'll come up. 
uh, or goodoakshomecare.co.uk and slash franchise for our for our franchise website as well. Fantastic, Dan. Thank you for being an incredible guest on the Evolve to Succeed podcast. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. My hope with every episode is that you've learned something new or heard something that challenged your way of thinking and further motivated you on your path towards becoming a more knowledgeable, informed and inspired individual and business leader. If you enjoyed this episode, then please help us by rating, reviewing and subscribing. We really value your feedback and would love to have you along for future episodes. And please don't forget to learn more about Evolve by going to evolvedmembers.com. Thank you for listening. See you next week.